I'm going to tell the story of Christmas. Long, long ago and far, far away, there were two people traveling to a little town called Bethlehem. One of them walked, his name was Joseph, and the other one rode a donkey, and her name was Mary. And Mary was very, very pregnant. She looked like Krishnabai, kind of. (laughs) And she could not wait to get to Bethlehem. She was hoping when they got there that they would find an inn, like a place to stay, and they would find a nice room that they could be in and it would be comfortable after their long travels. So they got to Bethlehem. And Joseph, he went up to the first inn and he knocked on the door. And the door opened, and Joseph said, Do you have any rooms available? And the man said, Nope, we're all full up. Why don't you go to the inn down the road? And so he went down the road a little ways with Mary on the donkey. The door opened. Do you have any room in the inn? There's no room in the inn. Try the little inn down the road. So they went down the road again. The last inn. The door opened. There was a little old lady. She looked very kindly. And she looked at them. How can I help you? And he said, do you have any rooms at all? And she said, I'm sorry. There's no room in this inn. And then she looked at Mary. She saw how pregnant she was. He said, but we do have a stable. It's way out back in the meadow. And you could stay there if you want. And Joseph said, how much can we pay you? He was very anxious to have anything. And she said, oh, no, don't, don't pay me, don't pay me. So Joseph led Mary on the donkey back, back, back to the stable. They found it inside. There was a cow and some sheep and lots of hay. And Joseph made a nice bed in the hay. And Mary lay down, and they were so relieved. And then that night... Mary gave birth to the baby. They had already picked his name out, Jesus. So she gave birth to Jesus that night. And she held him. He was so little. But as soon as she looked at him and Joseph looked at him, they felt this incredible peace. All their worries about travel and finding a place to stay were gone. They felt this very deep, deep peace. And they looked at him for a long time. And then finally, when the little baby went to sleep, Joseph put him in a manger, which is where the animals eat. And he made a little bed for him, and he put him in there, and he slept very soundly. And Mary and Joseph also got to sleep. Well, while this was happening, not far away, there were the three saintly kings, and they were heading right towards the manger. They were dressed in very royal gowns, And they were heading right to where baby Jesus was. Now, Yogananda said that these three saintly kings were really three of the saints on our altar. Yukteswar, Lahiri, and Babaji. In a a previous life, that's who they were. And that they were following a star, but they weren't following a star like we hear in stories in the sky. Yogananda said they were following a star in their spiritual eye. They were following this Christ star. This bright star was leading them right to where the Christ was. So when they got there, they came right into 
to the stable, and there they saw Jesus, and Jesus was sleeping. The Christ child was asleep. And they just looked at him very peacefully, and Mary and Joseph were looking at these three wise men. And then suddenly the little baby Christ opened his eyes, and the three wise men had these presents. They were very rich presents, fit for a king. And they put them down on the hay in front of Jesus. And outside, up in the hills, pretty far away, there were some shepherds. And their sheep were all asleep. And the shepherd, whose job is to take care of the sheep and keep them safe, the two shepherds were asleep also. They were sleeping soundly, and all of a sudden, they were awoken by this bright light. And this light was an angel, this beautiful angel. And this angel said, wake up, wake up, good tidings, and great joy to all men. For the baby Christ has been born. Not far from here you will find him in a stable. And the shepherds were amazed by this. This angel woke them up, and all of a sudden the whole sky was filled with angels. And all the angels were singing and rejoicing. And they were saying, glory to God on the highest and peace to all men. They were rejoicing. This was, this was a big celebration in the sky. And then all of a sudden, all these lights, all these angels went down towards Bethlehem to the stable. And the two shepherds looked at each other and they started running too. They ran all the way down the hill until they found the stable. And they were about to go in. They saw the angels circling, rejoicing. They looked in the stable and they saw these three richly dressed kings. And then they looked at themselves. They were poor. And they were kind of dressed ragged. They were ragged and poor and very, very simple. And they didn't know if they were allowed to go in where these kings were. So they were very surprised when the kings noticed them and made room for them to come in. So the shepherds came in, and they sat down very quietly. And one of them, the older one, was looking around. He saw the baby in the manger. He was radiant. And he looked around. He saw these three kings, and he saw Mary and Joseph sitting there, and he saw the animals sitting there, and everyone was very, very still. And he sat there for a long time. And then he... He reached over to one of the wise men and he tapped him on his silken sleeve and he said, who is that? He didn't know. Who's that? And the king said, that is Jesus the Christ. Someday he will show many men to the kingdom of God. And the shepherd just thought, the kingdom of God? What's that? That must be... Well, that must be heaven. God lives in heaven. And that's far, far, far away. And heaven is a place only for priests and good people and rich people and fancy people. And and it's also for when you die. That's where it is. It's after you die, that's when you find heaven. So he sat there for a long time thinking about this. And then he looked around. He was thinking a lot. He looked around and he saw that the kings were silent. Their eyes were closed. The baby's eyes were closed. Mary and Joseph 
Everyone was totally still except for him. He was thinking about things, and, and then he saw that everybody was so quiet, he closed his eyes for a second. And as soon as he closed his eyes, he stopped thinking, and suddenly he started to feel the kingdom of God. He started to feel heaven inside himself. And suddenly he knew that the kingdom of God wasn't some faraway place or after you're dead. He knew it was right then. So, this story is really not far, far away. It really takes place right here and right now. I said it was a story far, far away and long, long ago. But when Jesus grew up, what he taught, he said, the kingdom of God is within you. And the fact is that even now, here and now, Jesus the Christ is still helping people Whoever looks inside with deep, deep stillness will be able to find that kingdom of heaven within. And that is the story of Christmas. I'll read now from Rays of the One Light. What was the star of Bethlehem? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Divine vision is the opposite of worldly sight. (coughs) Divine vision sees God's presence behind all outward appearances. Worldly sight sees appearances merely, coating even the blazing wisdom of a saint. A master to a worldly man is a human being with perhaps a slightly better attitude than the norm. (laughs) The scriptures, therefore, strive to demonstrate how the divine consciousness, when openly active among, among men in the lives of great masters, must never be viewed as an expression of ordinary human consciousness. To seek the presence of divinity behind the life of a great master is to prepare oneself to recognize that same divinity also in lower manifestations, until at last one beholds God everywhere. Thus it was that Paramahansa Yogananda, on observing his new disciple Swami Kriyananda, struggling with the contrast between the guru's human appearance and his inner divine reality, looked at him deeply one day and said, If you only knew my consciousness. The story of the birth of Jesus contains an account in the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 2 of the Star of Bethlehem. The wise men who sought Jesus in his manger said, We have seen his star in the east, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. This account was important, for it showed all mankind that Jesus was a divine incarnation and no ordinary man, that he brought divine consciousness to earth, even though he would play a human role among other human beings, 
and that others too, by receiving him in their inner hearts, would acquire by power, as the Bible puts it, to become the sons of God. The scriptures enjoin us to meditate on the lives of great souls that we may discover our own latent spiritual greatness. As the Bhagavad Gita puts it in the fourth chapter, he who knows the truth touching my births on earth and my divine work, when he quits the flesh, puts on its load no more, falls no more down to earthly birth, to me he comes, dear Prince. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Sunday service for Christmas. We want to wish you all, and also to those who are joining us online, a very, very blessed Christmas season. Master spoke often and strongly about the need for a spiritual Christmas as well as a social Christmas. And in his, uh, with his monastics, he started late 40s, the uh, tradition of having a long meditation at Christmas, prior to Christmas, and then the social Christmas afterwards. And he said, someday millions will observe this practice. And it was so beautiful to observe, as Ananda's work spreads out throughout the world, how these Christmas meditations, the long meditation either on the 23rd, as he suggested, or a few days before on the weekends when it's more available to people, how it is being practiced and observed. Here in the community, we had one a few Saturdays ago. The monks did one yesterday, and we'll be having our main long meditation on Tuesday. But everywhere, elsewhere throughout the world, we received reports in Gorgon on Saturday, yesterday, they had uh, 60 people at their Christmas meditation. In, and at the same time, in Pune City, they had 30 people in southern India and 30 people out at the community in Pune. We did a little Skype uh, satsang yesterday with our group in Venezuela, uh, Vishwananda prior to their long meditation and they had about 30 people sitting there 20 maybe and so it's and these are just a few that we're aware of you know in all of our communities we have them and it's so beautiful to see how this tradition is really taking root throughout the world so I wanted to start by reading uh, rather than whispers from eternity I'm going to share this morning a reading from one of my favorite books of Master, Metaphysical Meditations. And this is more perhaps of a visualization. So uh, this is Meditation for Christmas Eve. So you might want to close your eyes and just go deep into this vibration. Lift your eyes and concentrate within. Behold the astral star of divine wisdom, 
and let the wise thoughts in you follow that telescopic star to behold the Christ everywhere. In that land of everlasting Christmas, of festive, omnipresent Christ consciousness, you will find Jesus, Krishna, the saints of all religions, the great guru perceptors waiting to give you a divine floral reception and everlasting happiness. Prepare for the coming of baby Christ by decorating an inner Christmas tree. Around that sacred tree lay gifts of calmness, forgiveness, nobility, service, kindness, spiritual understanding, and devotion, each one wrapped in a golden covering of goodwill and bound with a silver cord of your pure sincerity. May the Lord on the Christmas morn of your spiritual awakening unwrap the gorgeous presence of your heart offerings, sealed with tears of your joy and bound with cords of your eternal fidelity to him. He accepts only the gifts of sacred soul qualities. His acceptance will be his greatest gift to you, for it means that in return, the gift he will bestow on you shall be nothing less than himself. In giving himself, he shall make your heart big enough to hold him. Your heart shall throb with Christ in everything. Enjoy this festivity, the birth of Christ, in your mind and soul and in every living atom. By daily meditation, you will prepare the cradle of your consciousness to behold the infinite baby Christ. Every day will become a true Christmas of divine communion. If you have the little book, Metaphysical Meditations, that's a wonderful one to read and reread at this time. I think it's always inspiring to have the story of Christmas told at our Christmas service because those sacred events have such a divine power. They're real on so many different levels. They're real historically, as Tim was recounting them, but they're also real and true on a symbolic level, as our Guruji explained. And I would like now just to talk a little bit about what is the inner meaning of this, the events of Christmas. First, there was Mary, pure of heart and mind. And she was the one God chose to be the mother, to give birth to the child that was already immersed in divine Christ consciousness. And for us, what this means, that it's only in the purity and the focus of our own heart and mind, when the heart is and mind are totally focused on God, then God, the Christ consciousness, will be born within us without effort, without struggle, because that consciousness is always there. That child is always alive within us, but waiting, waiting for our receptivity, 
before it can take birth within us. And so in this time, as Tim recounted, in the land of Judea, there were omens and prophecies that the king of the Jews would be born. And of course, the evil king, the wicked king, Herod, it's hard to call anyone evil or wicked, but that's the, he played the villain in this story for sure. And so Herod heard of these prophecies. And what this symbolizes is that just as Master's commentaries on the Bhagavad Gita, where he talks about king material desire ruling the kingdom of our soul, that that king is threatened by the birth of Christ within us because he knows it means the end of the kingdom in which ego rules. And so the King Herod historically tried to find out where this child would be born. And he ordered the killing of all children in that kingdom under two years old to try to destroy the Christ consciousness. But as we know in the story, Joseph hears an angel that tells him to flee to the land of Egypt. So the baby Jesus is spared. But just in the world today, I don't think any of us have not felt great pain and suffering over the killing of the young children in uh, Afghanistan who are simply trying to get an education. It's the same story told again and again that the kingdom of materialism and power is threatened by the hope of new consciousness, of a higher way of thinking, and it tries to destroy it, but it can't destroy it. Because that consciousness is part of the very vibration of creation, new birth, new hope, new life. And it will come again and again, no matter how many times the power of materialism tries to destroy it. Because as Master has told us, ultimately the power of good is stronger than the power of evil. And so this, the, in that kingdom, the baby Christ... After his birth, they fled. But going back then to his very birth in the manger, in that humility, in that simplicity, and why couldn't the baby Christ be born in the inn? Why were all the inns shut? Surely God in his power could have found one little room, created one little empty room, one canceled reservation that they... (laughs) Oh yeah, we have one more room here. But it's again symbolic because the baby Christ cannot be within us, can't be born in the crowded and jostling in if our mind is preoccupied with all the things of this world. It's only in stillness when we withdraw from the clamor and the clutter and the clustering of others that that baby Jesus can be born. And Meanwhile, in that little stable, the three wise men are coming and the shepherds are coming. But the three wise men, Babaji, Lahiri, Mahashaya, they represent our own higher wisdom that is guided by the inner star. And they make that journey. And we need to understand that that journey that the three wise men made from India to Bethlehem, a long journey, that that is the journey that each one of us makes. 
because we're guided, whether blindly or with awareness, by that inner star. First, maybe, what does that journey look like in each of our lives, following in the footsteps of the three wise men? We hear a little glimmer of Christ, our Master, and we our interest is perked. We talked to a man recently who has been a lifelong disciple of Master from college, and he's now a man in his 60s. And we asked him, how did you first hear about Master? And he said, I was in college. I had a job working as a waiter in a restaurant, and I was serving my orders, and I passed a table, and I simply heard two people talking, and one of them said, Paramahansa Yogananda, and I stopped in my tracks. I'd never heard it before. I didn't know what it was, a name, a place. I didn't know what it was, but I stopped right there, and that was the the pivotal moment in his life. And so I think most of us have had moments like that where that light illumines us, even like... You know, when it's very cloudy and then a shaft of light will come down just for a moment and illumine a little piece of the earth. Well, it's like that for us. And then we begin the journey. But just as the wise men had to go through, cover many miles, we enter, perhaps one could visualize a forest, a forest of thick trees and underbrush, which represent our material involvement our ties to the world, our karma, those things that we think are so important, those things that just keep us in shadow, in darkness. But if that moment of contact is strong enough, we keep moving forward through that forest of worldly involvement, and finally we emerge. Maybe we find Ananda, maybe we whatever, join and find our path, but whatever it may be. And there at the end of the forest is our guide waiting there, our guru. And our guru gives us the techniques. He can see that we're sincere. And he gives us the techniques of illumination that have brought, been brought down from the great masters in India, the techniques of med- meditation and communion with God and and dissolving of our karma and then we're able to move forward with greater assuredness but then just as the wise men must have encountered great difficulties our tests come and I used to when I first came to the path I would look at people who weren't following a spiritual path and I thought and then I would look at devotees and I would think, why is the people who aren't even, don't even love God, why is their life so easy? And all of us are struggling. And it's because that's the process. The guru himself will bring us the tests. The guru himself will try to scrub out, scour away those things that are keeping us from arriving at that little stable and finding the baby Jesus. I was reading a wonderful story that Master tells. We all have read, I imagine, Autobiography of a Yogi, where Master tells about, in Sri Akteshwar's ashram, uh, Kumar, 
But I read another recounting that Master gave of that story, and he went into it in a little more detail. It was very interesting. He said, you know, uh, Master had come to Sri Yukteswar, was living in his ashram, and uh, Master was obviously his chosen disciple, and Sri Yukteswar put him in charge of the ashram. But then Kumar came, this very radiant young man, and his master said, I've never heard him say this before, I was slow in my ways, but Kumar was quick and intelligent. And so Sri Yukteswar gave him my position and gave me a lower position. And the other members of the ashram said to Master, Sri Yukteswar has done you an injustice. This isn't fair. Why should you be having to scour the pots and work in the kitchen? But Master would have none of it. He said, my guru is my path to God. I came here for my ego to be destroyed, my pride to be eclipsed. I came here to have him iron out every wrinkle in my consciousness. If this is how he wants to do it, so be it. And then he said, at a certain point, Kumar went to Sri Teshwar complaining, you put me in charge, but the others still go to Yogananda. And that's when Sri Teshwar said, you coveted his position, but he has the true consciousness to be a leader. You asked him, to clean your shoes to Kumar. You met Kumar had asked Master to clean his shoes, which in India is really quite a stigma. And he said, when, when Yogananda was in charge, he never asked you to clean his shoes. And then Kumar uh, went his way. He, he took a lesser position, but then finally left. But then Master said, and I never realized this, Master said, but he came to me later. And followed me. So that's a nice end to that story. But all that to say is the tests that come, whatever they may be, I don't know if you all feel this way, but for me, one of the great joys of living in community is to look at the eyes of my dear friends and guru bhais. And we all know each other well over the years. We know the struggles that each one has gone through and is going through. And just to see the light of God never wavering in those eyes, no matter what tests come their way, it's a remarkable thing, a remarkable thing, an indication, truly, of the grace of God pouring into the lives of the people who live here. But... So we get, the guru gives us tests, and we go through those tests. But when we're th- through with them, that inner light, that inner star, all the obscuring factors are gone, and we can go, and we find that stable. And in deep meditation, we can find the Christ consciousness within And then just as the kings did, the three magi, our gurus, we offer the inner Christ gifts. And these two are symbolic. What did they offer? They offered gold. Gold is symbolic, of course, of worldly wealth, giving God what we have. But it has a deeper meaning. 
It means giving to God even our virtues, even our spiritual attainments, even whatever we may think, oh, I've, now I, I've in the breathless state, now I see the baby Christ. You just give it all. Give all the wealth that you've acquired, your good karma, your spiritual progress. You give it all to the Christ. And then they gave him frankincense, that sweet fragrance of devotion. We give our devotion to the Christ consciousness. And then we give him myrrh. Myrrh is a bitter herb, but it's also a healing herb. So that is symbolic of the healing and transformation comes from tests that are willingly accepted for God. So we lay all of those gifts at the feet of the Christ child within. And when we do that, just as Master said in that beautiful passage we shared, then we see the baby Christ reigning in our hearts, but not only there. We see him in all people, in all things, everywhere. And so this is the deep symbolism of this beautiful story of Christmas. And it is such a gift and blessing to share this holy season with all of us together here at Ananda Village, all of our guru bhais throughout the world. We have come together in Master's name, guiding us to the inner Christ within. <laughs>